Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of the podcast and SoulfulLiving.com. This is the place people will connect you to their stories, their journeys, and how they've found meaning in their lives. Join us. Let's connect. Let's talk about connection. So I'm here today with Jen Phillips, and thank you, first of all, for joining me from Mexico. Welcome, Amanda. Nice to see your smiling face again. It's so great to see your smiling face. I think I, I feel like if there were palm trees behind me, like there are with you, I would be even smilier, but that's all right. That's all right. It's actually a sunny day. It's spring now, right? So... So Jen, I know you as a writer. That's how I, so when I introduce you, I feel like I'm introducing, um, Jen, you're a writer. I know you're, I would say marketing, maybe in branding expert, right? Um, so did I get that right? First of all? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't, I do, I write, I write for businesses, uh, primarily I write for the pet market, the pet industry, and I write for, um, technology companies. So, uh, hospitality, technology, data analytics, some really kind of geeky stuff that I really enjoy. That's great. That's and right. What i and, um, blog posts, ebooks and things like that. Wonderful. And I met you when you were living in Pennsylvania. And what I remember about you, if I can, it, I think I remember that you're from Louisiana or you lived in Louisiana. I lived in Louisiana for six years after college. I lived in New Orleans, but I grew up in South Carolina. Oh, you grew up in South Carolina. Okay. So you grew up in South Carolina. You lived in Louisiana. You at one point lived in Pennsylvania, and now you're living in Mexico. (laughs) Right. (laughs) First of all, what? when did you move to Mexico? Why? How can you share that story with me? Sure. So we moved in October 2017. Um, my partner, my boyfriend Rick, uh, his, old, his youngest was finished, had finished college and was had just announced she was going to college in Virginia, uh, George Mason University. So that's a little bit, dis- some distance away. And we, she knew she'd be on an athletic scholarship, so we wouldn't see a whole lot of her. And it was. You know, we already ran online businesses and worked from home. So there was none of that to, 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 that needed to be, you know, in the equation. So I just looked at him and said, it was March, as I recall, and we were renting a townhouse and our lease was up in October. You know, and if you're going to make a big move, you need a little bit of time to think about it and plan, right? So I said, I think we need to uh, decide if we're going to stay here. And I don't really see the point of doing another winter in Pennsylvania. We've been, both of us have been trying to get out of Pennsylvania for years. Um, and he said, he used to joke to tell his kids that when they came home from high school graduation, that he probably would have a bathing chalk and would be going somewhere warm. Now, neither of us have roots in Pennsylvania. <laughs> right. And, and the winter thing just was not working for us. 
Right, right. <laughs> so you want it, you're ready and you are thinking warm, but then I would still think that you would think in the U.S. Well, I've always had this uh, desire to live abroad, live some in a different country. I tried it when I was 25, um, but the internet really wasn't advanced yet, so it <laughs> didn't work out. Uh, I had a little stint on uh, yachts. I worked on, on yachts for a brief moment in the Mediterranean. Um, oh, my gosh. And why Mexico? Why Playa? Uh, we did briefly look at South Carolina, the coast, but it was really not what we wanted. We wanted a walkable ocean area. We wanted a walkable beachside community place you don't need to have a car a place that's that's warm that has people from all over the world that's close to a broad, you know a major airport so we could get back and forth to see family has infrastructure because there are a lot of play, lovely places in this world that don't have very good uh, internet and you know we weren't we aren't exactly beach bums yet so <laughs> that was that we had to think about that so you start thinking about the things that you need that the to actually live and I had been here once on vacation with my mom and sisters in 2007. And it was a very friendly place. And I realized there were people from all over the world here. And it wasn't a place you had to walk off the plane and have to speak Spanish immediately because that was also would be difficult. Um, and I was like, that town's really growing. So we pulled it up and Rick looks it online and goes, oh, they have an Apple store and seven Starbucks. They have infrastructure. We can go there. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. So you kind of just picked up and moved. Yeah, we sold or donated, you know, 90% of our possessions. Um, we had a storage unit, which we finally got rid of last summer. And, uh, we, you know, some things we put in the storage. We weren't really ready to part with them yet. And uh, we packed up six cases and a cat and flew to Mexico. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that, but I want to jump back. So you said when you were 25, you worked on yachts in the Mediterranean. Yeah. You're the first one I've interviewed, and I've now interviewed <laughs> Who has said that, I have to say. Well, that was out. So I booked a one-way ticket um, on standby to Madrid. At this time, there was, this was pre-internet days, right? Pre-cell phone. And there was some kind of little book I had. I mean, I followed Rick Steves, the travel guide guy, and I always wanted to go to Europe. Like, that was really the only thing in the whole world I really wanted to do with my life was go to Europe. And so I was determined that I was, you know, going. And I'd had this breakup, and I was like, all right, this is it. This is the time. And I squirreled away all my money that I could possibly get, and I and I went. But I went, um, there was a standby ticket. I have no idea how I even found it. I look back on that sometimes. I wish I had I had a copy of the... It was like some kind of little stapled together booklet I had uh, from somewhere. And it was uh, it was like $97 to fly to Europe. And you, there were your choices of five cities. I believe it was Paris, Amsterdam, um, maybe Berlin, Madrid, uh, maybe Rome. And essentially, you, you went standby, so you weren't guaranteed of space. But you could call the airline a couple of days ahead. This sounds so crazy when I think of this now. You could call the airline and someone would talk to you. And they would tell you how many seats had been sold on that flight. So basically, you could they would help you guess if it was a good chance. God. Who wants to go to the airport and wait, wait, right? Yeah. Like it's at least an hour away from wherever you may be. 
and like that's a thing right so Park. they would help so basically they were like oh well paris is usually like completely full but you know yeah so they would tell you oh there are five seats up but you probably get on it so yeah so i went i did that and i uh, had my backpack and my you know the big backpack and i hauled around was as big as me and uh and i, and I spent um i spent almost six months in europe so where did you go specifically in Europe? Like, where did you land when you first got to Europe? I, I landed in Madrid. Did you know, like, anybody there? Or I didn't know nobody. Just... I didn't know nobody. It was just me. I I stayed in this little, like, little hotel, like, little small, you know, like, mom-and-pop kind of hotel. I met this nice French couple who were vacationing there. We had dinner together one night. I still remember them very clearly. Um, yeah, I had no, I had no idea, but I went to the, I went to the museums. I was there. Go, all it was my Jennifer's art history tour. So I went on, you know, I went to all the the Prado and all the you know the museums in Madrid, and then I got on the train. I went down to um, where the Alhambra is. I can't remember the name of it now. Amazing, amazing, amazing place. Really beautiful, and it was so extraordinary because I'm sitting there on the train and I'm wide eyed, you know, innocent, you know, young woman, and I mean they're Roman aqueducts that are lying, you know, out just out there, out the train window, Roman aqueducts. And I was just amazed. I was just absolutely amazed at this, you know, how old everything is there. And like this is history's come to life. And I was just so excited. So I spent some time in Spain and then I went to Portugal because, oh, there was a, uh, you know, a friend of mine who I knew from the States um, was in Portugal and outside Lisbon. And I went there for a week or so. And then I came back. I ended up staying in Sevilla for like, two months because I met this nice girl on the bus and she's, she wanted to practice her English with me. She was a university student <laughs> and we hit it off. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so eventually I leave and I get to, um, I'm going to Barcelona cause I'm on my way to Rome and I go to Barcelona and I'm stuck. There's a strike, but I don't know there's a strike because it was not all, I was in the Southern part of Spain and there was nothing on the news. And because I'd been at her house and she had had the, I mean, it was like there was nothing there. And uh, like, so nobody knew. I mean, this was, it's like so hard to imagine in, in today's world of right. connectivity, you know? I mean, yeah. strike to go on for like three days. So I run into this American couple in the train station and they're like, they have, you know, garment bags out, hair dryers. And they're like, you know, dry. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we've been trying to get out of Barcelona. This is a train strike. So we're going to go to the bus station and get tickets because we can't. You know, the trains aren't running. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should go to the bus station too. And so I, myself and this woman walked to the bus station, which is down the street, and we buy buses to Rome, the tickets to Rome. And and then we come back and we have like a six-hour delay. And I go downtown and have a look around because I've never been to Barcelona. Come back. Oh, the strike is now over. So now we uh, we go back to the bus station, get our money back, get on the train. So, I, so somewhere there we picked up this English guy, and he's in our car. Uh, in the um, on the train, and he starts talking. You know, like, oh, where are you coming from? What are you doing? Well, he lives in the south of France, and he works on boats. So he mentions working on boats a couple of times. So I'm like, well, tell me about those boats, like cruise ships. Like, what do you mean you work on boats? He's like, private yachts, darling, private yachts. And so okay. And then he tells me I can come visit him and his girlfriend in the south of France, in Nice, outside Nice. So I do, like two weeks later. He's like, well, of course you do, Jen. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and his parents were there, and they were all very nice. And anyway, he showed me how to get work on the yachts. So you go down to the to the boat dock, 
and you just wander along and you kind of basically, you know, hello, I'm looking for a bit of work. Is there, you know, it's something that people do or they did at the time. Wow. So, yeah. So I spent three days shining um, silverware and uh, faucets, like uh, the bathroom sinks. Um, three days. This at the time was the largest charter yacht in the, in the world at that time. The Spielbergs were on the guest list for a few weeks from then. I, I had, they had a permanent crew of like 24 people, I think. It was a really big boat. It was a really big boat. So that was, you know, three days. I wasn't staying on the boat. And then I, but then I got a different job where I did spend like a week or two on a boat. I mean, it was all docked. I mean, it was just me really there. And they were planning this elaborate trip around, Afri around Africa. I didn't end up going on that. That sounded really ill. Um, it didn't sound very, it didn't sound very well thought out. And, and right. <laughs> Good. I'm surprised. <laughs> you know, they're always like, I don't know about this. Because I went to go with the guy, the captain on the boat, to go uh, get, like, the flags. You're supposed to buy all these flags that go on the ships to every country you might go into. But he was being really kind of um, a skinflint about it. And I'm thinking, I, I don't think you can, you know... You gotta be prepared. I mean, it wasn't a very big boat. I mean, like if you think you're gonna dock somewhere, you probably need to have the flags. I mean, because you have to right. run them up anyway. So then I ended up. I was in Mallorca, Spain, and then I couldn't get any money. That my debit card wasn't working, and so these are still the early days of ATM. So I had actually flown back to the states and then flown back. So I when I had to buy a uh, so it's like six month gap. I had to buy around. I'd gone there on one way ticket. And then I bought a round trip back out of Paris, and then I flew back. And uh, so I go back, and I go to Mallorca in the summer, and because this is where the yachts are. I've got all my information, right? I've gotten all my intel. Like, the yachts are all, you know, the, the Mallorca is a good spot if you want to get, you know, boating work. So I go down there. But I didn't think that my credit or my debit card was not going to work. Right. It wasn't working. And, I mean, it was the early days of, like, ATMs, you know, right. like, yeah. international I had yeah. gone a year, you know, the six months early, I had taken everything with me. I had all this cash and traveler's checks and all of that. Right, you know? right, right. And now I'm like, oh, this is great technology, except I couldn't get my money out. So I'm like yeah. down to my last, uh, you know, dollar or two. And I'm like, what do I do? And so I go, and again, I go down to the docks, and I, I find out this guy, this boat captain says, well, we might be leaving in a few hours. We're waiting to hear from the potential guests. Like, we're waiting on the confirmation. But if we have it, then we are going to be leaving at 6 o'clock. Would you be available? Yes, I would be available. <laughs> so, wow. well, so I did a 10-day charter on this uh, boat out of Mallorca. We went to Ibiza, we went to Ibiza picked up the, the guests, and then we went to Saint-Tropez, which was like 10 days in the water. This needs, you need to, I hope you're writing a book. <laughs> I mean, so... I have to ask this about your childhood because who are you? <laughs> you know? I had a wonderful, very, very stable, very boring childhood. <laughs> so you had a stable but boring childhood where were you like a reader or you watched yes. movies and you always, is that what it was? You... Yes, I always wanted to expand my horizons. Um, I like to say I came out of the womb reading with a book in my hand. Yeah. Uh, my mother's, I grew up close to my dad. My dad farmed and his dad farmed. I mean, I come from a tiny little farming community in South Carolina. And my grandparents lived right down the street. And then my other grandparents, my maternal grandparents, lived about an hour away. And they were from Massachusetts, so they were a little exotic. They were from Massachusetts and they were Catholic. And that was 
not very common where I grew up. And, you know, and I, and my, my dad's family had been living there for, you know, since, you know, 300 years. I mean, you know, it's like the whole story and, and they, uh, you know, they were there that they have you know, a lot of roots. They were rooted. Oh, very rooted. So, and I just wanted to explore. I wanted to explore. And then my maternal grandmother started a library in her little town, um, called Johnsonville. And then she was on the board of a, of a different library in a bigger town later on. But she, because she was bored out of her mind. I mean, she moved there in the sixties. My grand, my, my maternal grandfather was a chemist and he had moved down there with the textiles mills in like the fifties. Yeah. When they moved to South Carolina. So, um, you said you went to Louisiana after college. Did I hear that right? Mm-hmm. And what did you major in, in college? Writing? My mass, um, mass communications, journalism. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So you moved to Louisiana. Was that before or after the Europe thing? Oh, that was before. Okay. And then right you were uh, right after graduation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's very brave, Jen. Do you think, do you accept the premise that you're very brave? <laughs> you know, I, I also think it also speaks to um, like an imagination. Like I picture because you're reading these books that you have a vision of what the world is and you're like, I'm going to. And a lot of us do that, but we actually don't do it. Right. You know? I we had um I read a lot I read the encyclopedia frequently as a kid. I mean we had the whole slot set and I was obsessed with maps and I was always looking at maps and trying to figure out like where things were. Uh, I read a lot of Napoleon and Elizabeth First history. Um, I don't know why, but I had these like little moments of, of like sort of fascination with those periods. Um, I was always trying to figure out the context for like my place in the world, not just my place, but the people I knew, like my surroundings, like where are we in this general vicinity of this thing called the world? And when I was five years old, you're going to love this story. This was my first solo mission, which I've only just recently remembered. I was, uh, on the school bus going to school and the, all the other kids went to a different school, except for those of us who were kindergartners. We had to get, we all got off at this one area and then everybody else continued on. Well, I wanted to know where they were going. So one day I just decided, I just stayed on the bus because they were clearly going somewhere else. Like, where are they going? So I stayed on the bus. And meanwhile, one of the older girls was going, there was Carrie. She's like, Mrs. Helen, Mrs. Helen, Jennifer's still on the bus. Well, of course, Mrs. Helen was like, just sit down, Carrie, just sit down. <laughs> and we get to the other school and I go playing on the monkey bars because, you know, cool, <laughs> awesome monkey bars. <laughs> but, but then my aunt, I had a, an aunt uh, who looked, who was the first grade teacher there. She looks out the window and sees me and realizes that, no, 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 this was, you know, so she puts me in the car, drives me home. My mom doesn't even learn about this for like at least a year. I go home telling my mother about my 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 adventure going to the other school, the playground, and she's like, "You've never been there." I'm like, "Oh, I have. I went today. It was awesome." <laughs> my gosh. So, what is it about you that that you have no hesitation in doing that? Is it just who you are? Curiosity. Curiosity, and you know. The other thing that I'm that I'm struck by is your equanimity and your resourcefulness because most of these stories, what you're telling, you know, 
I would be running around panicked and screaming and, you know, my debit card won't work. Oh my gosh, you know. And you might, I panicked for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because you seem to have this remarkable, like, okay, now what? This happened, now what? You know? That's really, really unusual. So, because you're such a reader, I'm always curious about, you know, favorite or impactful books. Do you have any books that were kind of like game changers for you? Then there, there have been so many books, um, so many wonderful, wonderful, wonderful books. I did go through my 19th century reading, you know, French French literature period. There, I mean, I have my my favorites, but uh, I mean, actually, I just finished a book last week that was tremendous called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, by Gabrielle Zubbins, I think it's the author. Knew nothing about it. It just kept showing up in my list. I I have um, library cards through to like three different libraries in the U.S. So I'm usually like I'm always putting stuff on hold, and then it just shows up sometime. Usually like ten books at the same time. But um, but I, I read it, and it was so fascinating because it. Um, I'm reading a lot of younger readers now. They have such a different perspective. Like they're not following formulas, and you know they have such a I mean, people who are like 30 have just have such a different view. They're, they're, the characters are more complex. Um, they're, they're, they don't tie thing up with a, in a tidy little ribbon. It's much more about life. And it's so fascinating. And this particular book uh, was is very character-driven. They're very, I mean, they're deep characters. You feel like you just walk out the door and go sit down and have coffee with them. Um, it, but there were game designers. And so there's all this stuff about game design. I know nothing about game design. So it's all it's about game design in there and, and like the thought process, you know, the game, people who, who design video games. And like, I don't know nothing about, I mean, I played, you know, Atari. It was boring when I was right. You know. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm, I'm there with you. Pong, Space Invaders. I mean, come on. It was all right for 15 minutes or so, but then it's like, let's move on. <laughs> Pac-Man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, those things were you know, but these are like these really intense and 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 so like reading this like through this, these eyes, these people are really passionate about these games and they design them and they become you know they run a company and uh, they have various things that happen to them because life happens and it was really a beautiful beautiful story. Yeah, and so you know how you said you were always trying to figure out you know your place in the world and people in the world. Have you come to any conclusions? <laughs> well, um, I mean, geographically, I know where I am, <laughs> and yeah. you know, people are people. I, you know, I've always thought felt felt that way that you know, you know, people are. I mean, they're the nature, nurture, what have you. But I mean, people are certainly products of their surroundings. Of course, uh, there's that. But but you know, the heart is really about character, and I mean, there are good people everywhere, and. That, I guess, been my guiding force because I was really, I mean, I was very fortunate to grow up the way I grew up because I was surrounded by, like, good people and, you know, reliable people and stable people. And, I mean, I recognize that now that I could have the courage to go off on the bus at five because I had the stability around me. Right. That was going to happen. It never even crossed my mind anything bad could have happened. Right. And, and you know, I nobody seems to have been stifling you either, you know? Because, or if they were, I guess they weren't very successful. <laughs> Be back, you know. I, I can't say I was entirely encouraged by uh, certain family members, but you know, right, right. <laughs> um, and then what about, you know, just 
obstacles or defining moments? Do you look back? Not that you're like 102, because you certainly <laughs> have a lot to look forward to, but do you look back and think, oh, this was a defining moment. This changed the trajectory or this taught me something. Is there anything that you can point to? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, the the Europe experience was definitely that because that was something I had been wanting for so long and I somehow thought it was going to magically happen. And then, you know, and the, 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 some, like somehow it was, I was going to have the, the, the funds and a friend or, you know, it was all going to come together. And then I realized it just wasn't. So if it was going to happen, it was up to me. And I just had to make, make that happen. And earlier in college, my sophomore year, yeah, my sophomore year in college, well, my first year of college, um, I learned about this program called the National Student Exchange Program, where you could go to any um, public school, any public university for the same, you didn't have to pay the out-of-state tuition fees. You could go for a semester or you could go for a year. And all the credits would transfer and all of that. And it was like an organized event. I knew that my family was not going to support the whole international exchange, um, but I thought I could swing the national exchange. So... That took a little bit of doing, but my friend and I decided we were going to do this together, and we had picked um, two schools, and one of them was in Providence, Rhode Island, because she previously lived there, and uh, that was the only reason. Anyway, she bailed on me like a week before we were leaving. She had fallen in love with a French guy and was staying, she had gone to France for the summer and was staying there, and yeah, so she writes me this letter, or an actual letter, and tells me that she's not coming back, and she's really sorry, but you know. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm on my own. Wow. Well, that is defining because then it does speak to, okay, I am, you know, the master of my destiny, essentially. And, um, and what if, so how is life now? You know, you're in, a, I mean, is it different? Like how, how different is it? What is it like? You're not in the U.S. What is, what is daily life oh. like? Oh, yeah, it's completely different. I mean, you know, but it's also much more social than it was in the U.S. I mean, we live right in the center of town. We don't have a car. We've been in the same apartment for four years. And we just had the funniest experience just, what, two days ago? Yeah, Monday night. Uh, we have these new neighbors who are downstairs. A lot of our people are Airbnbers in this building um, because, you know, it's an air, it's a resort town. So there's a lot of short-term rentals. And so we, but we, we noticed these, this couple who were coming in and out, but we didn't know who they are. We hadn't talked to them or anything. And she was coming up to take her dog to the roof the other day. And we had our door open because we often have it open this time of year because we had a nice breeze. And our other neighbor was in the hall. We were chatting with her. And then this woman comes upstairs with her, with her dog. And the dog's all excited and running around. And they were headed to the roof to go chase a ball. Um, and we ended up, we ended up making friends. And now we're sitting on the balcony. And, you know, we're just like, and, you know, we just, that's like, that's life in Playa is so nice. There is so, there are so many people here from so many parts of the world. It's just such a fascinating, fascinating place. We meet more interesting people here than, than I've met anywhere in my life on a regular basis. I mean, you might have, you, you'll regularly have, uh, you know, a meal with, with people from four or five different countries all around the same table. Like that's really common. And you can still work because you're both, your work is. Online, essentially, is that right? And we run our, yeah, we run our own businesses, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of remote workers here who work for companies. I mean, you know, but that, some, some, yeah, that gets into legal, legal issues sometimes. Not all days, but for some. Uh, but yeah, it, yeah, we've been very fortunate. I mean, 
it's it's such a great experience that you can walk to the ocean. It's three it's three blocks away. <laughs> that sounds really nice. So what is your vision of like a perfect day? What does a perfect day look like for you? I um wake I wake up when I want. You know, I do a bit of work. I go go to the beach. The beach is beautiful. There's no sargasso. Sometimes that's a problem. It's what? Sometimes the we have what they call sargasso season. Oh yes, I've seen that. Yeah. I mean, well, it's coming to Florida too. I mean, it's not just yeah. fire. I mean, it's yep. up and down. And that's so when that happens, that's not so fun. You can't go in the water. You don't yeah, like this. Smells the first. So yep. right now it's perfect. The beach is gorgeous. There's no sargasso. So yeah, a little little swim in the Caribbean Sea. Yes, that's always a part of my perfect day. One other thing I'm I'm wondering, what about sources of inspiration for you? Yeah, I'm always curious where people go for inspiration. Um, do you read? Do you have to seek out nature? Do you, you know, what is it? What's your source of inspiration? Well, books are definitely, I mean, a big piece of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I read. I read a wide variety of, of, of you know, of material. Also, you know, talking with other people who do what I do, or who have one of my favorite things I love doing. I haven't done it in a while, but um, I, I've written for a publication where I interview other uh, expat who's come and started businesses here. So there's a woman who's teaching you how to be a mermaid, for example, in Tulum. And you go and you put on the mermaid tail and you swim around. I mean, you know, it's a whole thing. It's super, super fun. And I love hearing st people's stories. You know, I yeah. love talking to them like you're doing here. I mean, I want to talk to you and hear your story. Like what makes you, you know, why did you choose to do what you do? Yes. I always love to know if, if I just handed you a magic wand and said, Jen, you can make one change in the world, but you have to do it now. Wow. I know. No pressure. The fate nope. of the world is on you. <laughs> what would you do? What would you change? Well, I think uh, we want everyone to have a safe living environment, whatever that means for them, and have, you know, a roof over their heads and food in their bellies and health yeah. and health care. Yeah. You know, people that feel safe in their environment. I think that's really important because without that, you know, that's, you, you you can't really do anything else if you're all if everything's about survival so shut down your brain to everything yeah you have no you know you have no opportunity for what we're all hopefully going to do like self-actualization or all of that you're on the bottom rung just fighting for survival i i think that's pretty good <laughs> that's a pretty good one <laughs> so well jen i gotta say thank you so much for coming on and one of these days, maybe you'll look out your window and you'll see Victor and me walking along the beach. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider giving it a great rating and following all the things you do when you like a podcast. Thank you to William Aronson for writing, producing, recording the Soulful Connections theme song. And once again, thank you for listening. I hope you keep tuning in.